I could talk to the animals, just imagine it chatting with a chimp and chimpanzee. From the desert's news talk superstation, this is Animals Today. Featuring discussion about domestic pets, wild animals, and encouraging compassion and respect for all living creatures. Live from Palm Springs, here's Dr. Lori Kirshner. Thanks for tuning in. I'd study every creature's language so I could speak to all of them on sight. If man said, can he talk in crab or maybe pelican, you'd say like hell he can, and you'd be right. And if you just stop and think of it, ain't no doubt of it, I'm going to win a place in history. If I could walk with the animals, talk with the animals, grunt, squeak, squawk with the animals, and they could squeak and squawk and speak and talk to me. How you doing on this windy Sunday? This is Animals Today, and I appreciate you tuning in. i got to tell you a little story. I'm getting a pedicure, which I do on occasion. And I'm at one of those little uh, manicure, pedicure places. I, I don't know what you call them, nail salons or um, spas. Well, they're not really spas. You think of a, a spa as a place where you're paying in part for a more luxurious atmosphere and the pretty light fixtures and the Good design and handsome leather pedicure chair in a quiet corner with the the slipper and robe treatment. I'm talking about those cute little places that instead have the, you know, those bright, harsh fluorescent lights and noxious fumes from airbrushed nails and torn fabric on a machere chair that feels like it's sticking you in the back. And you pay like $15 for a great pedicure when you would pay three or four times that amount for a pedicure at a real spa. But, you know, these small businesses are so great and... I like to patronize them, and they're so friendly there, and you chat with the person next to you getting their nails done and them asking you these personal questions and having these in-depth conversations with someone you barely know and you will never see again. But, you know, that's the that's the thing we do. And you're trying to comprehend what the person who's doing your nails is saying to you in their strong Korean accents. And then every once in a while you hear them talk amongst each other in a language you can't understand. So you automatically think they're saying something about you like, Ooh, look at those calluses on these ugly feet, or I can't believe I have to touch those fungus-infected nails. I tell you, I just love these places. So I'm getting my pedicure, and they have these two little mixed-breed, 10-pound, adorable dogs running around the nail salon, okay? And I see one of them as a male, and I can see he's not fixed. So, of course, knowing that millions and millions of dogs and cats that we kill in our shelters and that we kill all these innocent animals because of the overpopulation of dogs and cats. And to help with this problem of overpopulation, we must fix our animals to prevent them from reproducing and adding to this problem. So I feel compelled every time I come across an unfixed dog, I have this obligation or urge to try to convince the person to fix their pet. So I'm trying to convince someone you know, of this, it, it can be a, a feat in itself, but have you ever tried to convince someone who barely speaks your language as to why it's a good idea to fix your dog? You know, so I'm getting a little graphic and pointing to the dog's genitals and making cutting motions with my hands and that those need to be cut off so no babies, and I'm pointing to my stomach and making the curving motion with my hands on my stomach indicating a pregnant person. And then, of course, trying to explain the reason 
too many animals, not a good thing, other animals die because not enough homes. And I know she understood what I was trying to tell her because she points to the back room where there lies two little puppies, like four weeks old. And then she points to her husband and she says, too late, too late, his fault. I want, I want to fix. He say no, too late, his fault. So, okay, there you go. They had two dogs. Their two dogs already had a litter, two little puppies. And then at that point, I felt I had to give the, her the entire mind, broken English, theatrical explanation all over again as to why they need to fix their pets. And she gives me the yeah, 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 like, like to appease me. And she and her husband start talking in a language I don't understand. And I'm positive this time they're saying things like, boy, oh, boy, this woman's driving me crazy. I wish she would shut up already. So, but listen, you see, in the end, I really think that I made an impression on them. And I'll tell you why I think this is so. There are two little dogs, female and male, that were running all around the nail store. The little male was quite social and friendly and was approaching all the customers, and everyone was petting him and loving him. But the female seemed a lot more shy. She wouldn't approach anyone. So the little male is getting all the attention, loved by everyone, and so I'm trying to get the little female. Her name was was Roxy or, or something like that, Roxy. So I'm calling, come here, little Roxy. Come here, sweetheart. Come here, Roxy, you cute little unfixed thing, you. And the woman doing my feed, who was the owner of the dog, said, no, no, nobody can touch her. You touch, you touch her, you go buy lottery ticket. Roxy like nobody. Only my husband can touch Roxy. Nobody else touch Roxy. So, of course, that makes it a tempting little challenge for me. So I continue to try to pet little Roxy. And I called little Roxy, and the nice woman kept saying and laughing, you touch her, you go buy lottery ticket. You know, she was cute, like implying that I, if I beat the odds to touch little Roxy, then I should try my odds at the lottery. My third time, come here, little Roxy, come here, sweetheart, she came over, and I was petting her. And she actually jumped up, put her two front paws on my knees so I can continue to pet her. And the woman doing my feet yells, oh, you buy lottery ticket, you go buy lottery ticket. So I think that they think, after this little miracle just occurred, that I have some special gift or power or authority with animals, and that maybe they should fix their pets like I painstakingly and annoyingly tried to tell them. Now, little do they know that I have three dogs at home, and I earlier have given my dog some jerky treats, which were hiding in my pant pocket, and that's probably the reason Roxy, Roxy came over to me in the first place. But, you know, on animals today, we have a lot of fun telling our little stories and talking about the wonderful world of animals and the purpose of the show, okay? It's it's to entertain you. It's to amuse you. We want you to laugh. We want you to have fun and relate to the funny animal stories we tell. We want to share with each other the fun and cute stories about our own pets and the tremendous love we have for them. And we've spoken about this incredible bond that can form between animals or pets and, and, and humans many times here on Animals Today. So our goal is to entertain you and make you feel good when you tune in to us every Sunday from 2 to 4. But there's another major goal of this show, and that's education. We want to educate you and our communities about animal-related issues. And a lot of these issues, you know, are not fun to discuss, and they're, they're sometimes hard to listen to because it makes us sad or depressed knowing that 
knowing about how we sometimes can mistreat innocent living creatures. But we here at Animals Today feel it is very important to talk about these various animal welfare issues so that with your help, we can make a difference in our country as to how animals should fit in our society, the relationships we should have and share with them, why we should respect the animals, why we should have compassion for the animals we share the world with, why we need to protect them and not exploit them for our benefit and our amusement. We, we want you to learn about the facts and hopefully you will conclude yourself that you don't want to be a part of or, or support these industries and groups that exploit animals for our, our entertainment. I want you to know the facts and so you can conclude yourself a change must be made in the way animals are used and abused for human benefit and pleasure. I want you to feel that we have, we as uh, compassionate and caring individuals have a moral and ethical responsibility to help make a change in the way animals should fit in our society and change the way animals are treated in our society for the sole purpose of human pleasure, entertainment, and profit. Now, later on in the show, we're going to have fun with cute and fun animal facts that will make you smile. We're going to learn about diabetes and pets. We're going to find out all about microchipping pets. We're going to speak to our animal behavior consultant. Okay, but... First up on Animals Today, we are going to talk about one of these topics that are difficult to listen to. It's another example of an activity that uses and abuses animals for our entertainment and profit. I will be speaking with activist Steve Hindi, founder of Showing Animals Respect and Kindness, Shark. His group battles against rodeos, bullfighting, live pigeon shoots, turkey hunts, circuses, zoos, and marine parks. Shark is well known for its secretly shot video footage showing animal cruelty. I'm Dr. Lori Kirshner, 16 past the hour, and I appreciate you tuning in to Animals Today on K News Radio. Professor Henry Mark Holzer. I founded the animal rights law movement. Some call me the first animal rights lawyer. I'm chairman of International Society for Animal Rights, ISAR for short. ISAR was chartered on January 30, 1959. We're one of the oldest humane education organizations in America. ISAR was first in the United States, probably the world, to use in a corporate name the words animal rights and the first to sue invoking that moral principle. We're tax-exempt, non-profit, and contributions are tax-deductible. Our website is www.isaronline.org, isaronline.org. It explains our many programs and how we've worked for half a century to make the world a better place for animals. Please visit our website. The smallest critters to the biggest living creatures. You're listening to Animals Today with Dr. Lori Kirshner on the Desert's News Talk Superstation AM 970, 1140, 1250 K News Radio. Live from Palm Springs, here's Dr. Kirshner. A former hunter. Steve Hindi decided he was on the wrong team after witnessing the infamous Higgins Pigeon Shoot in Higgins, Pennsylvania in 1989. Compassion, not killing, 
became his life goal, and he has dedicated his life to ending the abuse of all animals. As the founder of Showing Animals Respect and Kindness in 1993 with a small core of volunteers, Shark battles tirelessly against rodeos, bullfighting, live pigeon shoots, turkey shoots, can shoots, and all hunting, circus circuses, zoos, and marine parks, any issue that involves violation of the innate rights of living creatures. This award-winning video footage is supplied to local, national, and international media, lawmakers, courts, and other animal advocacy organizations. Thanks for joining us, Steve. My pleasure, Doctor. I've been going through all of your websites, and there's so much I want to talk to you about, including the undercover rodeo videos. Please, uh, if you could first give us a little personal history, what made you become an animal advocate, and how and why did your nonprofit organization, Shark, Showing Animals Respect and Kindness, come to be? Well, uh, I, it, I was a hunter for about three decades, and um, you know there were things that I guess as I as I matured a little bit, and and uh, there were just you know it, there were things that were starting to bother me about what I was doing. But what really really pushed it off a cliff was when I first read about the Higgins pigeon shoot and then actually went and saw it, and um, uh, it was uh, definitely a life changing experience for me. Um, to see what they did to those animals in the in the name of sport and tradition just made me question everything that I was involved in, and I tried to I actually tried to talk to these people because uh, I considered myself to be pretty much in their camp, uh, not certainly not directly, but you know we, I mean we were all shooting animals or hunting them, and and um, and they told me that I was no better than they were. If I uh, if I hunted, I was the same as them, and it's, I fought that concept for about a year. And at the end of the year, I I realized that they were right, and I didn't want to be in their on, on their side. I didn't want to be the same as them, so I I left. I joined the other team. Very good. And Steve, since today's topic is the rodeo and um, animals in rodeos, I want you to tell me and my listeners about what goes on at the rodeo. And I, I have to tell you, Steve, that I've never been to one, never watched one on TV, nor have any desire to attend or watch the events. But if you could tell us about what goes on at the rodeo. Well, it, for, first of all, if you watched one on TV, you didn't watch a rodeo. I see. Because the the rodeo people always edit out everything that they don't want people to see. If there's an animal injury or death, uh, you know that it's edited out. If they're shocking animals, or raking their tails, or, or twisting tails, I mean, all that's just taken out. So, in effect, you've never seen a rodeo if you've seen it on TV. Um, you know, it, it's considered to be an American sport, an American tradition. It, it is not a sport. A sport, as far as I'm concerned, a sport is when uh, one or more competitors or one or more teams get together and everybody wants to be there. I mean, they're there by choice, and they compete. And in, in, in rodeo, of course, half of the participants w- will leave at the very first opportunity. And so rodeo rodeo is not a sport. It, it is a, a, an organized, uh, it's an organized abuse where... Animals, for the most part, that are either reacting to torment or reacting to fright uh, are chased down, are clotheslined, body slammed, tied by the legs, dragged by the neck, or tormented into acting 
uh, in a way that they would not otherwise act, as in the bucking events. Uh, you know, you watch these animals, and we've certainly, over the many years, we've watched them a lot in the pens, uh, and where they're calm. They're, these are calm, docile, domesticated animals. Even the bulls, and and then they get them into the chutes, and they put on the buck strap, you know, around their abdomen, which which they hate. Uh, that's why they call it. Well, it used to be called the buck strap. Mm-hmm. Now they call it the flank strap because the buck strap sounded too much like what it was. Right. And and they spur the devil out of them, and they oftentimes shock them and do other things to try and torment them into, into reacting. And and you know again, and this whole thing about tradition, I find it so funny. People will say, "Oh, rodeos, tradition, tradition." Constantly, I hear that. And yet, as I said, they changed the name of the buck strap to the flank strap. They changed the name of calf roping. I mean, you think about calf roping, and that's what it is. It's calf roping. Well, it sounded too much like what it was. So they changed calf roping to now it is called tie-down roping. Mm-hmm. They changed steer busting to steer tripping. And then steer tripping still sounded too much like what it was. So they changed it to single steer roping. They changed bulldogging to steer wrestling. Uh, it's just, you know, for, for people who claim to be wedded to tradition, Rodeo is ready to throw off any tradition uh, in order to try and make themselves seem less like what they are. Isn't it amazing, though, a lot of these animal, a lot of these activities that use and abuse animals, they claim it's either tradition or entertainment or sport, like circuses or hunting for sport. Isn't it, it's sort of amazing that they, that they use that, they, they, they uh, label that as something so it could be acceptable. Now, you, you mentioned that what, when you see it on TV, it's, you're really not watching the rodeo. Uh, of course, if the channel happens beyond there's a rodeo, I'll change it right away. But what I see makes me just cringe, just what they're, they, what's on TV. But you're saying we're really not seeing the true thing. And just so my listeners know, you sneak or you have a team that sneaks video cameras and film the event. So, and Steve um, was pretty much, you, you pretty much busted the so-called Super Bowl of rodeo. Uh, please tell my listeners about that and what exactly was uncovered. Well, in December of 2007, we went to the National Finals Rodeo in Las Vegas. That is, that is the Super Bowl of rodeo, where the biggest rodeo association in the world, the, the uh, Professional Rodeo Cowboys Association, holds this, uh, it, it's like a week-long event. Uh, in fact, it's, it's more than a week, and it's got over five and a half million dollars uh, in prize money that's being handed around. So, we went to the we went to the NFR as it's called National Finals Rodeo, you know, to, and believing. I, I mean, I frankly believed that there was no way that we were going to really find anything that was at least violating their own rules, because when the NFR is going on, mm-hmm. unlike other times of the year, there are no other rodeos during the NFR. So they're able to bring what they consider to be the very best animals from all over the country and even from Canada. Um, but we we went in, and uh, really to our shock and amazement, we found the number two man, the vice chairman of the board of the PRCA. His name is Charles Soilo. Mm-hmm. Mr. Soilo was was uh, spiking the horses with with an electronic shock device, mm-hmm. and he and it was the most um, the most underhanded thing I ever saw. Usually. 
the electric prods that they use, we know what they look like. We, you know, the, we know who makes them. Uh, we know that the people who make them say they don't want them used in rodeos, all this kind of thing. But this guy had a device, a shocking device, that actually fit in the palm of his hand, and it was attached to his hand by, a, by, by one finger, a flesh-colored band around his finger, so that from the distance that we were at especially, you know, you knew that he was doing something. Mm-hmm. He took something out of his pocket and put it on his finger and would, you know, touch a horse and would then take it off and put it back in his pocket. Well, you knew something was right. going on, right. but you couldn't see it. Right. And it wasn't, it wasn't until, like, the uh, fourth performance where he was, he was kind of kidding around and he made like he was going to shake hands with somebody else there. And at that time... He turned his palm towards us, and we could see the device. Yeah. Only, only through the magnification of the camera lens, by the way. Never would have seen it otherwise. Right. And, and so, you know, when you're at the – and the judges, the rodeo judges who are, who are uh, charged with enforcing the rules, they were right there. They were looking at this guy as he would put it on and as he would take it off. Yeah. It was, it was unbelievable. And we've got it up on YouTube. Inc- it's up on YouTube. And uh, it just shows what rodeo is. It, it is, you know, they claim it's tradition. It's not. They claim it's sport. It's not. They claim it's fair competition, and it's not even that. If you're just tuning in to Animals Today, I'm Dr. Lori Kirshner. We're speaking to activist Steve Hindi, founder of Showing Animals Respect and Kindness, Shark. Shark is well known for its secretly shot video footage showing animal cruelty. Um, we're speaking about the animals in rodeos. Um, S- Steve, are these things that you mentioned, are they legal? Are they permitted or do they, they're, they're not and they're, they do them anyways? Well, that, that's a bit of a mixed bag. <clears throat> in Illinois, for instance, it is not permitted to shock animals at a rodeo, and yet the Department of Agriculture, the Illinois Department of Agriculture, uh, charged with enforcing the law, has only on one occasion enforced that and, and got a conviction when they actually did their job. But, but uh, uh, you know, the, the present governor, well, in fact, he just got kicked out. You, Rod Blagojevich, I assume a lot of people know that name now. Mm-hmm. Rod Blagojevich, uh, when he came into office, everything went right down the tubes. It was it was more than just trying to sell Senate seats, and um, uh, so you and you go to a lot of places. I mean, it's happened in California it, at the NFR. Las Vegas has a, a uh, an ordinance that prohibits this kind of behavior. They would not enforce it. So incredible. Um, Rodeo animals, really, the, the reason we took on rodeo some 15 years ago was because these animals are so ignored uh, by the agencies that are supposed to protect them. But even in the animal protection movement, uh, until fairly recently, there was almost no attention given to them. And, so, and we felt that they needed to have somebody advocating for them. Tell my listeners, what is a jerk down in calf roping? A jerk down is, you know, when a, when a uh, contestant is chasing a calf, he's mm-hmm. on horseback and mm-hmm. he's chasing a calf, and he throws the rope around the calf's neck and he brings his horse to an abrupt, a right. very abrupt halt. It's incredible. The horse has stopped, uh, has, has completely stopped, and is even kind of moving backwards before the slack of the rope ever ever runs out. And... Uh, now, if, if they just throw the rope around the calf's neck, then the knot uh, 
the force of gravity will pull that knot to one side or other of the calf's neck. I hope I'm making this clear. You are. It's incredible. And, and when that happens, the calf will be pulled either to the left side or to the right side, whichever side of his neck the, the, the knot has fallen to. In a jerk down, the contestant intentionally will snap that rope just before the rope just before the rope goes tight. He snap he throws it, you know, he kind of tosses it up and snaps it so that the knot right at that moment will pop up to the top of the neck. And when that happens, the calf is flipped over backwards. I mean, where where he literally comes right off his feet. He's airborne. Uh, springing backwards, and he lands on his head, he lands on his neck, his back, and of course this is this is very traumatic for these animals. Yeah. They can break their necks, their legs, their, their back, spine. Exactly, it's incredible. You know, I I, I normally do not um, uh, really allow my guests to go go ahead with these detailed things, but I, I had to let my listeners know this was when I asked Steve about jerk down and uh, jerk down in calf roping. I really wanted to give it as an example of one of the many. Evil, cruel things that happens at the rodeos that Steve has documented. So this is Dr. Lori Kirshner. Our discussion with our guest Steve Hindi is going to continue on Animals Today on AM 970, 1140, 1250, K News Radio, the Desert's News Talk Superstation. Welcome to Focus on You, the Valley's preferred destination for all eye care needs. Doctors Lori Kirshner and Peter Spiegel, board-certified ophthalmologists and eye surgeons, provide the highest quality vision care for patients of all ages, specializing in the treatment of cataracts, macular degeneration, dry eye, and glaucoma. Fashion meets function in the Focus on You optical department, where our expert staff will assist in choosing the perfect eyewear and sunglasses. Focus on you at 111 Town Center, Palm Desert, where the focus is on you. So you're thinking about adding a pet member to the family. Well, that's great, and we want to encourage you to adopt instead of buying from a pet store or breeder. But why adopt? Well, there are so many homeless, loving, adoptable pets waiting to go into good homes that they've already received their required shots, they're spayed and neutered, and it saves you time and money. Also, many pet stores use animal brokers, and the animals come from mass breeding facilities known as puppy mills. These facilities usually produce pure bred puppies in large numbers. Often the puppies are sold directly to the public by way of the internet, newspaper ads, the mill itself, or they're sold to brokers and pet stores nationwide. Now some of these problems mass-produced animals have are overbreeding, inbreeding, minimal veterinary care, poor quality of food and shelter, lack of human socialization, overcrowded cages, and the killing of unwanted animals. It's horrible. Did you ever consider that breeders are in the business mainly to create and sell animals? Buying just makes the pet overpopulation worse worse because it perpetuates unneeded and unwanted animals while taking away chances to live from sheltered pets. By choosing to adopt a pet from a shelter or rescue organization and not purchasing an animal, you help free up much needed room at shelters and rescue missions to house and offer other homeless animals new lives. So you're ready to adopt, but you don't know where. Well, there are several places you can search. You can always start with your local animal control, humane society or rescue group, or if the internet is where you want to do your research, there are many sites to assist you to locate your future companions, such as PetFinder.com or Pets911.com. These sites allow you to search by zip code, gender, breed, just to name a few options. Now, not only do they have dogs and cats, but they also have barnyard animals, small and furry, and reptiles. Now, once you've selected a potential companion, there's usually an application that must be completed and submitted. An adoption counselor will review your answers and ensure that it's a good fit for everyone, including the pet. 
Now, they'll probably contact you for more information or to answer any questions you may have about the pet you selected. Usually, a small tax-deductible donation is suggested to help with the cost of housing and caring for the animals until they're adopted. The amount is nominal compared to the hundreds or thousands of dollars that pet stores or breeders charge, so there's really no reason to buy your next pet. Remember, adopt a pet and save a life. It'll give you a nice, warm, and furry feeling. This message is sponsored by Desert Paws. Visit them at DesertPaws.org. Dr. Lori Kirchner. We're speaking with Steve Hindi, founder of Showing Animals Respect and Kindness. Um, and if you are just tuning in and haven't been with us the last 10 minutes, um, Steve just gave us an example of one of the many terrible, cruel, abusive events, things that we do to the animals in rodeos. Um, Steve, do children participate and watch? Oh, absolutely. Uh, uh, children. I mean, they try and they try and hook them when they're when they're young. They've got little britches rodeo. They got high school rodeo up into college and and and, and then into the pro ranks. And in fact, the high school rodeo is uh, is some of the dirtiest rodeo we've ever seen because by the time they reach high school age, they have uh, they've had all the insensitivity taught to them of the pros, but they don't have the experience. So because of that additional, uh, you know, they, they don't, they don't have, they don't, they don't have the experience down. And so even more things happen to the animals. And, and frankly, I mean, it's, we just put out, a, we just put out a video, uh, another video up on YouTube, uh, a couple days ago where we exposed a guy who is the head of the Illinois High School Rodeo Association. I mean, they were shocking animals and he was, first trying to deny it and then trying to say that it was okay and it violates their own rules. I mean, many of these things, like, for instance, the jerk down, actually does violate rodeo rules, but they allow it anyway. Yeah. I mean, first the judge has to call it. And like we say, the judges were watching when Charles Soilo was, you know, putting on his illegal uh, shock device and putting and taking it back off. Yeah. So it's, it's just, it is just rampant, rampant with not only cruelty, but corruption. And it's, ama- and it's amazing what we let happen for our amusement. And it's amazing that we would uh, want our children to be involved in this. Steve, um, our videos, now videos, is, as far as I know, are normally not allowed at these events. And if uh, I'm going to ask you something, if you'd rather not share this information, of course you don't need to reveal this, but how did you or your staff get the videos into the venue, and how did you take video without anyone noticing? Uh yeah, without going into too much detail, we have a lot of different devices, a lot of different techniques, and and they produce. You know, we use different different approaches for different uh, things that we're specifically trying to do, and um, uh, and and another thing too is that really this is only they only want to ban the video cameras if they think that the person holding the video camera might be on the side of the animal. Mm. If, if it's a rodeo person, I mean, you'll see lots of video cameras. Oh, okay. Rodeos. Okay. And, and uh, tip, you know, typically, typically you're going to see video cams. I mean, everybody's got them these days. And uh, so it's only if they have been burned before, especially by us, or, or you know, if, if they've been caught in the past, 
then that stock contractor or that particular venue, you know, they might try and knock them out. Uh, and, and by the way, anybody who wants to see some of our videos up on YouTube, you can search by going to Rodeo, or the search, you know, the tags would be Rodeo Cruelty Corruption, those three words, our videos will start coming up, and we've got dozens and dozens and dozens of them. Talk a little bit about the corporate sponsorship of rodeos and other events involving animal cruelty. I'm, I'm, so, I'm so glad you brought that up. Um, Coca-Cola. <laughs> and I know plenty of your listeners are going to drink Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola. Again, we get into this duplicitous aspect of rodeo. Coca-Cola is a major sponsor of rodeo. Wow. And yet they will deny that they're a sponsor at all. They'll deny it. They'll deny it. They will try to blame it on their bottlers. Uh, even though Coca-Cola decides what activities bottlers may or may not sponsor. And in fact, and the reason that they deny it so heavily is that Coca-Cola actually has a policy that says the company will not sponsor or promote any activity wherein an animal may suffer physical injury. Hmm. And, and, that's incredibly hypocritical. I can't believe this. Well, it's, it's the way of rodeo. Um, uh, and, and Coca-Cola is a, a major rodeo sponsor. Dodge Trucks also. Dodge uh, tries to claim that uh, they would never sponsor anything cruel and that, and that they know that the PRCA and the other rodeo associations have all these rules and they're strictly followed. Well, we have, you know, I mean, for well over a decade, we have sent not only the rodeo associations but the sponsors, we have sent them a video saying, here's where this happened, here's when it happened, uh, you know, and here's what happened. And, and you've got some companies who have withdrawn. Now, uh, Choice Hotels, I will single them out because without a campaign, Choice Hotels looked at the information we sent them, and they said, we do not want to be a part of this. Uh, then you get somebody like Marriott Hotels. Mm -hmm. Marriott Hotels was sent information, initially told us that they were getting out, and then went back on their mm. word. Okay, before I forget, please tell my listeners how we can learn about the sponsors that are actually sponsoring the, uh, the, the companies that are actually sponsoring the rodeos. One of my favorite sites, uh, our, one of our favorite sites, CorporateThugs.com. And it is so appropriately named, CorporateThugs.com. Right, right, right. Uh, we, there we've got information on, on who's doing what, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And um, Coca-Cola, but Coca-Cola and Dodge Trucks and also uh, uh, Southwest Airlines, uh, these are, and there are others, these are companies that, they know the truth, and they absolutely are, you know, they're, they're marketing or whatever. They're bent on doing what they're doing. So they will come up and down. They will deny they're involved in any abuse. They will deny that rodeos abuse animals. It doesn't matter how many hundreds of videos we put up. You know, they're just, it's, it's the, way of the, uh, the way of the business world so much of the time these days where they just make up their own reality as they're going along, and they don't care what the truth is. Okay, so one concrete thing that we can do to help you is to not support these companies, correct? Absolutely. Okay. And, and in addition, I would go to Corporate Thugs where we've got contact information, call these companies and tell them that you're not going to deal with them and why. Mm -hmm. Coca-Cola, for instance, Coca-Cola has a, a page where they say what, you know, talks about their sponsorships. It answers two questions. The first question, I believe, is what kind of things do we sponsor? The second question is, 
does Coke sponsor rodeos? And the answer is no. You know, we do not. And then it goes, and then, and then all of a sudden it goes into this long-winded, uh, defense of rodeo and even includes a letter from the so-called animal welfare coordinator of the PRCA, the Professional Rodeo Cowboys Association. So it, they're so funny because they kind of show how duplicitous they are right on their own page. They say, no, we don't sponsor it, but rodeos they have lots of rules, and, and they follow them, and this and that and the other thing. And if I could mention one other thing, mm-hmm. the animal welfare coordinator that I just mentioned for the PRCA, you would think that an animal welfare coordinator is coordinating the efforts to promote welfare amongst rodeo animals. Right. In fact, the animal welfare coordinator is, and always has been, a spin doctor. So we come out with evidence. We come out with video at the NFR, their steer-busting finals, any of their rodeos, big or small. And the animal welfare coordinator uh, counters everything that we say. So, again, in rodeo, up is down, left is right, uh, black is white. Uh, everything is just completely skewed. Um, you know, Steve, I, I want to ask you one philosophical question before we, we end this, but if you could just please um, answer this. Have rodeos, in your opinion, have rodeos changed over the years for, for the betterment of the animals? They have changed. They've changed for the worse. Uh, when, the, when the big corporate sponsors came in, and, and added money to what was going on and started adding a lot of money, then that made the animals even more expendable. Hmm. Now, uh, for instance, at the NFR that we were talking about, the 2007 NFR, a steer broke his, had his leg broken during what's called team roping. Two guys are chasing the steer, and they're trying to rope his legs He's got a broken leg. It's swinging around. Well, okay, we don't, I, you, you don't want to be graphic. And, and so yeah. the steer's leg was broken. Okay. And they would not stop. It was one of the, the saddest yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. It's incredible. And, and that's rodeo. Okay. Because, that's... because all that money is there. Like I said, yeah. $5.5 million was being distributed. The animal was forfeit. Yeah, it's incredible. See if we have a few minutes. I, I, I'm dying to ask this question. Um, you know, I know you were a hunter. You mentioned that, and I read that you were and a fisher for several years of your life. Being an ex-hunter and fisher and now devoting your life to protecting animals, I, I really want to ask you, why do you think people hunt? Is it a control thing, a macho thing? Do you, why do, do, you, do you really get pleasure out of it? Do they hunt because fathers taught them to? And do you think there's something a little evil about a person who can get pleasure or get entertained or amused by killing an innocent animal? Well, <laughs> yes, I do have to answer You, you can't answer that in a few seconds. Who's been involved? It, it, it's all of that and, and even a little bit more. There, okay. there is, there's longstanding tradition. Again, I, I've come to hate that word. So there, it's all of that you, that you've just talked about. And I do believe that there is something that is disturbed about People who do, because some people they seem like pretty nice people, but they do that, and I think there's something disturbed. They have not, they just haven't had an awakening, and they, I'm, I'm, I've Agreed. always been so happy that I did. Agreed. Have an awakening. Steve, you are wonderful. Continue your amazing work. I'm so glad we had you on. I would love to have you back again. Anytime, Doctor. Thank, thank you so much. Thank you very much. Okay, don't go away. Okay, you're listening to Animals Today. Fun animal facts next. On K News Radio. What if I were to tell you that we are killing about 17 million dogs and cats, puppies and kittens every year? 
This is Bob Barker, and I'm here to tell you that pet overpopulation, something that every person who owns a companion animal can do something about, is causing the death of millions and millions of the very animals that we profess to love dearly. That's right, animals with names and loving dispositions, animals who have become such important members of our families. Those animals are being systematically destroyed. And that says nothing of the billions of dollars we have spent to do this terrible slaughter. What's the answer to this horrible problem? Spay neuter. It's the only thing that will stop the killing. For more information on how we can get out of the killing business, call International Society for Animal Rights, 1-800-543-ISAR. That's 1-800-543-ISAR. Have a question? Animals Today welcomes your call at 416-8475 or toll-free, 888-589-6397. That's 416-8475 or toll-free, 888-589-6397. Now back to Dr. Lori Kirshner. Thanks for tuning in. Okay, we're going to have fun. Some fun and funny animal facts. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quiz my, um, my sidekick and my husband here, Dr. Peter Spiegel. Okay, ready, Peter? I'm ready. Okay, top two smartest dogs, and I'll give you some choices here. Okay. Top two. Doberman, yep. German Shepherd, Poodle, Jack Russell Terrier, or Border Collie? Wow. Okay, Border Collie, I believe that's one of them. Yep. And the Poodle. No, oh. Border Collie and Jack Russell Terrier. Okay. okay. If I had a sound that went okay. wrong. Okay, <laughs> dumbest dog. The pug. Why don't you bring the sound from home that you use? Oh, that's very funny. The pug, chihuahua, poodle, greyhound, or Afghan hound. Wow. Dumbest dog. The uh, chihuahua. Ah, <laughs> Afghan hound. The only dog that doesn't have a pink tongue. Wow. Oh, I know this one. But I need choices. Okay. Um, okay. Shepherd, poodle, chow, doberman. Chow, Very has... good. There's actually only three animals with blue tongues. The black bear, the chow dog, and the blue-tongued lizard. How many tentacles does a squid have? Six, eight, or ten? Oh, ten. Ten is right. Only bird with a penis. Wow. Swan, mm-hmm. pigeon, bluebird, ostrich. Wow. Oh, a, an ostrich. Wrong. Swan has a penis. Which animal is estimated that their sense of smelling is as high as one million times greater than ours? Okay. Do I get choices? No, nope, no. Nope. Uh, Which a, animal? Come on. A bloodhound dog. That's very good. It's a dog. A good, dog. good. This is, a, you should know this, a medical question. Okay. Why do the cat's eyes glow at night? Why do the cat's eyes glow? They, and, yes. okay, same reason as a cat sees about six times better than a human right. at night. Right. They have a tapetum. Very good. Which is that reflective thing behind their retina or in front of their retina. There it is. Right. Tapetum lucidum, ah. which is in the back of the cat's eyes. Very good. Can I ask you an eye question? Um, okay. I don't know if I'd like working <laughs> this way, but go ahead. Well, Okay, the question is, speaking of animal eyes, which animals have the most lenses in their eyes? Remember, oh. there are animals with... Natural lenses? Uh-huh. Okay, um, don't know. 
The dragonfly. Oh, how many lenses do they have? They have 30,000 little lenses in each of their compound eyes. Wow, that's incredible. I didn't know that. Um, name the three types of animals that step with, like, both left legs, front and back, and at the same time, and then both right legs at the same time. Because oh, most animals yeah. alternate. Wow. I can't even okay. envision that. Cats are one. Oh, Cats, look at attention. your cat. I mean, we have two cats. Look at your cats. Okay. Cats, giraffes, and camels okay. are the only ones. Okay. The only bird that can fly backwards. Oh. Hawk, hummingbird, roadrunner. A hummingbird. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> which, which animal? Have you seen a hummingbird fly backwards? I think. I don't know. Oh, okay. Which animal has three eyelids? Oh. Three eyelids. Three eyelids on a shark? No. Okay. Okay, I'll give you a hint. Um, it, it's really used to protect themselves from blowing sand. Oh, the camel. Very good. I should have known. I knew oh, that one. Wait, good. I knew that one. Okay. How many muscles does a cat have in each ear? Two? No, no, no. 14, 22, or 32? Okay. Uh, 22. 32. 32. 32 muscles in each ear. <sighs> How many rows of whiskers does a cat have? <laughs> Dr. Doug Coons is here, and if he's listening, our yes. veterinarian that's coming up next hour, he's going to say you should have known okay. that. How um, many rows of whiskers does a cat have? Three, four, or five? I, I know it can't be. It's got to be four. Okay, very good. Okay, because least, even numbers, yeah, symmetry. Okay, well, and look at our own cats. Okay, a zebra is white with black stripes or black with white black, stripes? Okay, um, I say black with white stripes. Wrong. How do you know the difference? White with black stripes. Yeah, yeah. No two zebras have the same stripe pattern also. Okay. Ready? That doesn't make sense to me. Catnip. Yes. Catnip can affect lions and tigers as well as house cats. It excites them because it contains a chemical that resembles what? It mm. resembles A, marijuana, B, estrogen, or C, an excretion of the female's urine. Wow. Okay, I see. See. Very good. That, I never thought about yeah, that. Yeah. What catnip. makes catnip nippy? Yeah, that's right. It's excretion of the dominant female's urine, and it also affects lions and tigers. On the packaging, they don't really uh, talk about it. No, so they much. don't. They don't say that. Uh, next time we give our cats catnip, and we we have something catch to it. talk about. Yeah, and we'll also wash our hands. Okay, the catnip. Excuse me. The cat gut. Remember yes. cat gut, formerly used as strings in tennis rackets yep. and musical instruments? Comes from what animal? Mm. Does it come from, does the cat gut come from cat or sheep, yeah. hogs, yeah. or horses? Oh, I think it's hogs. Yeah, it's sheep, hogs, and horses, oh, actually. Oh, really? Yeah. That is just horrible yeah. to ponder. Yeah, it is. I don't, do they use cat gut anymore? I don't think so. Like if you're going to go to your Cat. local stringer? Do well, they still have stringers? I, I, I guess not. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I don't think they use cat gut in tennis rackets. Okay. What statement is true about the cat's meow? They meow primarily to talk to other cats. Meowing is reserved for speaking with humans. Meow because they want to annoy you. Or they meow primarily when they're hungry. Wow. Oh, they... I never heard... I don't hear cats meowing to each other. To communicate with humans? Very, ah, very good. Oh. Meowing is reserved for speaking with humans. That is, that's really shows the uh, common evolution. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Which, oh, excuse me, when, when two dogs approach each other, 
The dog that is in charge is Is the a... sniffer or the sniffy? <laughs> when two dogs approach each other, they're both sniffers. A, okay, did you hear what I said? When two dogs approach each other, the dog that is in charge is A, the dog which wags its tail slowly, B, the bigger dog, C, almost always the male dog, or D, dog with the biggest feet. Uh, I oh, boy. Um, the uh, wagging slowly. Very good. Really? The dog which wags its tail very slowly is the dog in charge. Okay, which... Animal can change from one gender to another and back again, depending on which is best for mating. Yeah. Humans. That's funny. Lizards, bees, or oysters. Oh, I. Um, I'll go with the oysters. Very good, oysters. Okay, you you did fair. You Thanks. did pretty good. Okay. okay. Coming up next, Palm Springs veterinarian Douglas Coons will join us to discuss the epidemic of diabetes in domestic cats. Also, bird expert Lindy BG will share her extensive knowledge of pet microchipping with us. And could you ever imagine your very own pet, your dog, let's say, viciously attacking you? We're going to speak to our pet behaviorist, Dr. Peter Burchell, to talk about how this could happen and why it did happen to one individual here in our own backyard, the Coachella Valley. I'm Dr. Lori Kirshner. Thanks for staying with us here on Animals Today on News Radio. Presents Animals Today with Dr. Lori Kirshner. Thanks for being with us. You know, the, the nation's largest pet insurer releases the uh, top reasons pets are taken to the veterinarian. So these are filed claims to the insurance companies, right? So for the second year in a row now, urinary tract infections was the top medical condition for cats. And veterinary visits for skin allergies resulted in the most claims for dogs. And ear infections for dogs was number two. And those may go together. I should ask our vet. Um, I think, uh, you know, just like Susie, Peter, when, when dogs have allergies, they itch. So they, they scratch their, their ears and then it gets infected. Do you think those two go together? It seems that way in our yeah. household. Yeah. And osteoarthritis? Um, enteritis, which is diarrhea, and thyroidism were more common in dogs than they were in the previous year, and diabetes in cats made the list. Kidney disease was the 10th most common cat complaint and jumped to number three. And the spike in certain conditions for both dogs and cats um, can be explained by a host of reasons that includes, you know, the, the pet's age or genetics, nutrition, and environment. And for many of these conditions, the main risk factor is age. For example... 
take hypothyroidism, which is the failure of the thyroid gland to produce adequate amounts of thyroid hormone. And it's a relatively common age-related disease in dogs. And kidney disease in cats also has something to do with the increasing age population uh, in our cats. Cats are simply living longer than their kidneys were designed to support them. Osteoarthritis, another one that can be age-related. So let's spend a few minutes talking about arthritis or osteoarthritis because I bet many of the dog owners listening right now know of or or have experienced this disease with their dogs, um, especially if they have had or once had a dog that, that lived to a nice older age. So osteoarthritis, it's a degenerative joint disease, and it's characterized by the loss of the smooth cartilage that covers and protects the end of the bones in a movable joint, right? So you have two bones covering cartilage, and that's in a joint, and the cartilage has no nerves. So when it touches the cartilage of another bone, there's no pain. But when the cartilage wears away and the bone's exposed, the bone does have nerves. So when the two ends of the two bones in a joint touch each other, it results in in pain and inflammation, Um, osteoarthritis is progressive, which means it continues to get worse. And dogs who have had an injury to a joint, such as a fracture involving the joint or a ruptured cruciate ligament in the knee, will be more likely to develop degenerative joint disease. And, and Peter, that's that's like uh, our dog Paco had, right? Didn't he have a ruptured cruciate? Right, Paco, both both knees actually, the uh, cruciate ligament ruptured. Yeah, tell our listeners about that. uh, Paco, the uh, shepherd Doberman mix, uh, gradually started uh, having a lowered exercise tolerance and he's licking his knees and we would take him for a walk and he'd want to sit down instead of uh, running and he was not too old, maybe nine years old when the symptoms happened. And ultimately, um, we brought him to to an orthopedic surgeon, a veterinary orthopod, who uh, did one surgery on his knee and then another one. Uh, nice expensive surgeries, but they work uh, beautifully. <laughs> that's right. Expensive knees in town, that's for sure. Um, yeah, and, you know, other um, signs. Well, obviously the symptom is pain. Dogs have intense pain. And, and signs, you may, you, may, you may find that the dog is, has difficulty getting up after lying down or appears stiff. Or what else did Paco have? He was limping, right? Or he was limping. And um, then we discovered uh, some of his muscles were atrophic. Well, that was interesting. We hadn't noticed that, even though we were yeah. looking at him so yeah. carefully. When he finally pointed out the atrophy of his of both big leg muscles, that was very uh, telling. Yeah. So atrophy. What we're trying to say is, like, let's say, for instance, in a dog with um, hip dysplasia involving both hind limbs. So the muscles of the hind limbs may be thin, right? Whereas the muscles of the chest and the shoulders may be increased. In size because the dog is putting more weight on the front legs. And, um, and remember, depending on the amount of pain the dog is experiencing, you may also see changes in appetite and behavior. Um, and the joints are generally not swollen. And the pain is sort of a dull aching type of pain, so the dog doesn't actually vocalize or cry out in pain. Some dogs will lick or bite. And I think Paco did that, didn't he? He licked and bit is the area that was that's painful. Right, that's right. Yeah. So... Um, that, that's our situation with Paco, and that's osteoarthritis. Dental issues, also very common later in your pet's life, even if you take regular care of your pet's teeth. Dental issues, this is interesting, are the most common pet health issue that can lead to further problems. Not only the teeth can be affected, but it can also spread infections through the bloodstream into the lungs, kidneys, liver, heart. 
To avoid pet health issues related to your teeth, you should, you should, well, not you should, your dog should have regular cleanings done by your um, veterinarian. And, and I read that the signs that your pet is having dental problems includes bad breath, difficult chewing food, and, and visible, actual visible tartar deposits on the teeth. And giving your pet bones or toys designed to clean the teeth can help, but they say that nothing can substitute brushing their teeth every day and uh, to avoid the dental issues and the health problems that come along with them. Um, and, oh, rem- remember, you should only use a toothbrush formulated specifically for pets and the soft toothbrush so you, so you don't hurt their gums. Um, and uh, let's see. Oh, uh, and also, not only that, I want, you know, if you ever had an abscess tooth or a bad tooth, it is probably considered one of the most painful conditions. And, and I, I will tell you, because our one of our dogs did experience abscess teeth. It, dogs are heroic, man. They sometimes they just won't let you know they're they're experiencing any pain. So how do we prevent disease and problems in your pets? The easiest way is to keep your pet healthy and strong is to treat them just like a child. Make sure you take them to the veterinarian on a regular basis so they can be checked for any common medical conditions while also keeping their vaccines updated, right? And as some, if not most of the pet conditions will bring about a noticeable change in their behavior or appearance of a pet. So most of us pet owners know our pets pretty well and know when there's a a, a strange behavior or or an abnormal appearance. So just observing your pet should be part of your daily routine. Inspect the eyes, ears, skin, right, and any lumps or, or sores, unusual odors or drastic changes in their behavior obviously would suggest that one's pet should be promptly examined by a veterinarian. So by you observing your pet on a routine basis and with regular annual comprehensive physical exams by your vet can help diagnose problems early or in some cases prevent many of these diseases and illnesses. Just like in humans, it's always best to prevent a problem or catch it before it manifests itself. And also, if diseases are caught early in the long run, it's much less expensive to take care of. We're going to talk to, um, uh, with veterinarian Dr. Doug Coons about one of the most common cat illnesses, diabetes. Cat owners out there, you're going to want to hear this. And wow, you're going to be surprised how common it really is. And we're going to find out how it's diagnosed and what we can do to treat it. And later, we're going to learn about the importance of microchipping your pet. And did you hear about that awful attack of the two dogs on their own owner? We're going to speak to Dr. Peter Borchelle and learn why that might have happened and why would your own dog attack and kill the person that he supposedly loves very much. I'm Dr. Lori Kirshner. You're listening to Animals Today on the Desert's News Talk Superstation, News Radio. Hello, this is Susan Daftis, President of International Society for Animal Rights, ISAR for short. ISAR was chartered on January 30, 1959. We're one of the oldest humane education organizations in America. ISAR was first in the United States, probably the world, to use in a corporate name the words animal rights, and the first to sue invoking that moral principle. Today, ISAR leads the fight in America for spay-neuter, mandatory spay-neuter, where tax-exempt, nonprofit, and contributions are tax-deductible. Our website is www.isaronline.org. It explains our many programs and how we've worked for half a century to make the world a better place for animals. Please visit our website, isaronline.org. 
listening to Animals Today on the Desert's News Talk Superstation, K-News Radio. Live from Palm Springs, here again is Dr. Lori Kirshner. Thanks. Welcome back. We're joined by local veterinarian Dr. Doug Coons to learn about a very common disease in cats, and that's diabetes. Um, Dr. Coons, thanks for joining us today. Oh, happy to be here, Lori. I know diabetes in cats is getting a lot more common than it used to be. Dr. Coons, can you tell us why? Well, the the big reason is uh, we're seeing a, an epidemic of obesity in cats, and the kind of diabetes that cats get is the type 2 diabetes, which is what happens to many of us uh, humans as we get older and uh, pack on a little bit of weight, and uh, it predisposes us to developing that kind of diabetes. It's not juvenile diabetes. That's very uncommon in cats. It's rare. Right. How is diabetes in cats commonly diagnosed? Well, usually somebody notices their cat uh, is drinking a lot of water and all of a sudden the litter box is, uh, they're having to change it more often because there's so much moisture there. Uh, They may notice a little bit of weight loss, a scruffy hair coat with flaky skin, uh, but mainly the the increased water consumption and and increased urination are the, the reason that people most commonly bring the kitties to us. And is this usually occurred pretty quickly? I mean, all of a sudden, one day your, your cats should do in their normal habit of drinking and urinating, and then all of a sudden it's, it's you know, several it's times pro- that amount? Probably a slower onset. Uh-huh. Um, you know, sometimes we'll see acute or rapid onset of diabetes when it's associated with uh, uh, pancreatitis, which is in, an inflammation of the pancreas, which is the organ that produces insulin. Mm-hmm. And, of course, insulin regulates your blood sugar uh, and, and diabetes is defined as uh, inadequate insulin production or a delayed insulin production. When we eat a meal, normally that evokes a, a response from the pancreas to secrete insulin. And if that doesn't happen, it causes problems. Mm-hmm. I, I read that it's more common in males. Is that true? That's true. Uh-huh. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. In fact, uh, you know, an interesting thing, I, I did a little research, so I had all my facts at hand that the prevalence of diabetes is one in 200 cats. That That's huge. Wow, that is huge. And yeah. this is more common than, let's say, 10 years ago because of what you said. If You really have more house cat, indoor cats only, less exercise, right? That That's that's correct, Lori. And and it's good that we have our cats inside because right, it's much, much safer for our kitties. But we've developed a generation of couch potatoes um, right. You know, they don't have the activity of, of being outdoors. And, and, of course, that's for their protection. They're not getting hit by cars or, or they're not ending up a meal for some coyote. Uh, but also, from the other standpoint, it's better to keep those kitties inside because they're predators and uh, our endangered species in the area can be affected by the predation from, from feral cats particularly. But but by our own domestic cats, too. So we have to modify what we do with our kitties since we keep them indoors, and we need to devise ways of exercise. Right. So I do want to reiterate, um, Dr. Coons, as well as here uh, us here on Animals Today, we definitely believe it's good to keep your cats indoors for various reasons. Um, so indoors um, to exercise them, just buying kitty toys, right, and just playing Kit- with them, feathers. Kitty toys. Yeah. Chasing a laser beam. Right. You know, they they love that, Uh, uh, but you need to spend some time with your kitty, which pays benefits uh, uh, in many ways. Right, right. 
Also, diet is important. Yeah, um, I want to talk about that. Yeah, cats are true carnivores. Mm-hmm. Um, their dogs are omnivores. They can eat uh, meat or, or carbohydrates, vegetable source proteins, and do very well. But our cats really can't. Their livers act, or lack the enzymes to properly metabolize carbohydrates. So our dry diets particularly are, are higher carbohydrate diets and can tend to predispose a cat to diabetes, whereas a canned diet has a Number one, a lower caloric density, but it also, uh, most of those are meat-based diets, and the cat really needs a meat-based diet. So um, proper diet is very important, but may not necessarily prevent um, the cat from de- developing diabetes. Well, if, if it helps to prevent weight gain, that's right. it'll help prevent the diabetes. But yeah. uh, And we find a few of the cats that we diagnose with diabetes, just by correcting the diet, we correct the diabetes. We don't have to go to... Uh, insulin shots, which are usually twice a day. So if the cat loses weight, the diabetes can go away or be better controlled. Absolutely. Got it. And if and you encourage, um, once your cat's diagnosed with diabetes, you encourage exercise. Would that also make the diabetes, um, control the diabetes better with exercise? Absolutely. Good. And um, you also mentioned that diabetes is akin to type 2 diabetics in people. Um, and you mentioned that the insulin is the treatment for diabetes. I know in people there's oral medications um, for diabetes, um, type 2 diabetics. Is there any oral medications out there for kitties? Some of those oral medications that are used on people do help a small percentage of cats with diabetes. Uh, I've, I've read numbers about 10% of diabetic cats respond to the oral um, uh diabetes medication. Mm-hmm. So usually those are not used a lot. We, we usually jump to insulin. If you're just tuning in, I'm Dr. Lori Kirshner. You're listening to Animals Today on AM 970, 1140, 1250K News Radio. Our guest is Dr. Doug Coons, and we're learning about diabetes in our cats. Um, Dr. Coons, can you, is it hard to learn to give insulin? No, it's really pretty easy. You know, uh, with with us, with uh, diabetes, monitoring is very important. And so a person who's diabetic may be checking their blood sugar multiple times during the day. With cats, we don't need to do that. Right. You know, if we we give very low doses of insulin, usually one unit twice a day, maybe two units at most. Uh, if we go over that, usually we have to look for complicating factors. And so usually we recommend a dose, one unit twice a day, and once a month we'll check what's called a fructosamine level, which gives us more of a, a global view of their blood sugar. Similar than, to humans. They, yeah, than, yeah, than just doing a blood yeah. sugar. Just one blood sugar really doesn't do a lot. And trying to do a glucose curve on a cat where we, we check blood sugars every two hours over a 12-hour period, cat, cats don't lend themselves. That That can freak a cat out. And, and their blood sugar can go haywire just because of stress. So we do better with a fixed dose of insulin, checking the fructosamine once a month until we have it regulated, and then every three months. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen these medic alert tags for cats indicating the cat is diabetic. Have you seen those? I have. Okay, so that's in case the cat gets out and in some caring hands, right? A- absolutely. And, you know, one other thing is <clears throat> I know one of the microchip companies, Home Again, uh, you can call in and post the history 
associated with that microchip so that if your kitty's picked uh, gets out and gets picked up and is uh, scanned at the animal shelter and found to be diabetic when they call for the information on the cat they're not only given the the uh, owner's name but they're also given the medical history such as diabetes so you know, it's it's another way, along with the medical alert, to alert people that you've got a kitty with a problem. Yeah. Dr. Coons, what happens um, to a cat if diabetes goes undiagnosed? Well, they become uh, what what is called ketoacidotic. Their system develops too much acid, and their liver fails, and they, they really get into trouble and can die. So... Um, the point we can give our listeners is if notice any sort of symptoms of, well, any change of behavior at all should, should warn a visit to their veterinarian, correct? A- absolutely. And particularly if you're seeing that increased water consumption and all of a sudden, uh, you know, you're needing to change that litter box more often. Yeah. That, that's, that's a red flag. Right. Do you want to tell us about a fundraiser coming up? Hey, if, sure. This next Saturday at uh, Palm Springs Stadium. Okay. From, Ten until two, we have a fundraiser to raise funds to build a new shelter in Palm Springs. And we have lots of things going on, demonstration from, from the police dogs, from search and rescue dogs, from uh, the drug dogs, their fly ball demonstrations, agility demonstrations. It'll be a great time. Wonderful. Okay, so that's next Saturday, correct? Next Saturday, ten to two. Very good. And... Um, uh, Dr. Coons, we really appreciate you being on Animals Today. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you. Okay. You know, uh, most of you have been tuning in regularly to Animals Today, and, and uh, you, you guys know we frequently have our pet behavior consultant, Dr. Peter Borchel, taking your calls and answering your questions about your pet's unusual or difficult behaviors. In addition, Animals Today is proud to announce Henry Mark Holzer as our legal consultant. Uh, Hank Holzer is considered by many, including myself, as our country's first animal rights attorney. Hank Holzer will be appearing semi-regularly on Animals Today to address your legal and ethical questions on animal welfare in our country. For example, why would anyone bring their dog to the vet to euthanize him just because they're tired of taking care of him? Is it legal for veterinarians to kill your pet because you're tired of him and just because you say to do it and you pay him to do it? Legal, ethical, comments, questions for our legal consultant can be emailed to me at drlori at animalstodayradio.com. That's D-R-L-O-R-I at animalstodayradio.com or simply log on to our website at animalstodayradio.com. Coming up next, is your pet microchipped? If the answer is no... Stay with us and learn why you should microchip your pet. If the answer is yes, then you should still stay with us because did you know that there are different scanners out there and that if your dog or cat is lost, what what if the scanner that is used to try to identify your pet cannot scan or read your pet's microchip and therefore cannot identify that the pet that's lost is your pet? We're going to find out. I'm Dr. Lori Kirshner. You're listening to AM 970-1140-1250 News Radio. Who looks after your kid's precious eyesight? At Focus on You, you'll meet Dr. Peter Spiegel, board-certified ophthalmologist and the area's only specialist in pediatric eye care. As the author of two textbooks, Dr. Spiegel has the expertise to treat conditions from blurred vision to lazy eye. With partner Dr. Lori Kirshner, Focus on You offers quality medical and surgical care for most vision and eye conditions. Our optical department offers a wide selection of stylish eyewear. 
focus on you. 111 Town Center in Palm Desert, where the focus is on you and your kids. Hey, what's that? It's the new animal adoption page from Desert Paws. In the desert, son? That's right. Comes out every month on the last Saturday. Look at all those cute dogs and cats. You bet they're cute, but they need good homes. How come you know so much about the Desert Paws animal adoption page? That's how we got Sparky. He looks so handsome that we called the phone number under his picture, and we went and met him at his shelter. He's been with us ever since. I hear that the animal shelters are overcrowded. They really are. But Desert Paws is helping all the valley shelters adopt their dogs and cats. Please help us help the animals by supporting the animal adoption page. Visit DesertPaws.org. Hi, I'm Bob Barker. Because of pet overpopulation, we are killing about 17 million dogs and cats, puppies and kittens, every year. What's the answer to this horrible problem? Spay neuter. It's the only thing that will stop the killing. For more information on how we can get out of the killing business, call International Society for Animal Rights, 1-800-543-ISAR. That's 1-800-543-ISAR. From the smallest critters to the biggest living creatures, you're listening to Animals Today with Dr. Lori Kirshner on the Desert's News Talk Superstation, AM 970, 1140, 1250 KUs Radio. Live from Palm Springs, here's Dr. Kirshner. Thanks for staying with us. We're joined by Lindy BG. She has years of experience learning and knowing about microchips. Um, thank you for joining us, Lindy. Thank you. Lindy, explain to my listeners, what is a microchip? I think at least this day and age, which is a good thing, when I started on this like 15 years ago, nobody knew. But I think most people do. It's a product that's about the size of a grain of rice. It's inserted into our companion animals they don't have to be put to sleep like a lot of people seem to think. It's like getting a vaccination. Most dogs don't even yelp. So it's, it doesn't hurt the animal. How is it inserted? It's inserted with a needle, and I wish I would have brought one to show you, but it's just a needle, uh, and it looks like a vaccination. Yeah, so very simple thing to do. Super how, simple. How much does it cost? Uh, this is this is kind of varies with, I've heard as low as $15, and uh, vets ch- need to charge more if you make appointments and go to your vet, mm-hmm. which is fine, but you can go to places like Animal Samaritans, and they'll do it for $15. And I just heard Dr. Doug say that, that Palm Springs is going to be doing it, and that's $30, including the registration. Right, so there's, there's always um, areas or places you can go to get discount microchipping um, um, uh, when it's needed. So d- does, th- does the microchip last a lifetime? Yes. The la- my, I've had it in some of my birds. I think people that know me know that I have birds that yeah. live 80, 90 years, and I've had them in some of my birds 20 years. Okay, so I want to express that to my listeners. It's not just dogs and cats. It's, it's your pets, even birds. Um, what, are, what are some of the problems with the microchips? Some of the microchips on the market and um, and I, I read that some of the scanners that may not be able to read all the chips. Can you tell our listeners about that? There's There's been a, and it's too bad because it's been kind of a greed thing with companies trying to keep their, their share of the market. And so there's been a lot of, you know, you do my chip and then you need to have my scanner. Right. But that's pretty much been resolved now. And I brought one with me to show you and I have an animal there that is chipped with the Avid chip. And I have one with the Home Again chip, and I have one with the ISO chip, and that same scanner will read all three. Okay, very good. And not just locally, everywhere in the United States? Correct. Very good. If you're just tuning in, 
Um, I'm Dr. Lori Kirshner, and this is Animals Today on AM 970, 1140, 1250, K-News Radio. We're speaking with Lindy Beegee about the importance of microchipping your pet. Lindy, let's say my animal has already been microchipped, um, and um, how do I know if my local shelter will be able to read the information on it? Or are you saying that they they definitely will? They have the updated scanner that will be able to read it. Nothing is ever definite. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> I wish I could say, oh, it's yeah. 100%. Is there a way for people to check if they let's say microchipped their animal years ago? If I would suggest that they make a phone call to their local shelters. But there again, people travel and they take their animals. I have a far better one, and I'm holding it in my hand. This is the tag that is on my animals, and each one, and I have all three of the chips in various animals. This one says it's a microchip, home again, and the number. Okay. On one side. On the other side, which is this is even more important for we that are in this valley. This is the dog's name. This is GGBG. And this is my phone number, and under it is my daughter's phone number in Oregon. Now, the reason for that is if we have an earthquake, which we're supposed to be getting, God hope we don't, my phone isn't going to work. And there, too, I would ask everybody to check their registrations. Um, I did it. I have 50 animals microchipped. I put down my phone number. I put down my neighbor as the alternate. I put down my local vet's phone number. And if there actually was an earthquake, all three of those phones will probably not work. So find a relative or a friend that is, if you're in a fire area or earthquake or tornado, whatever area you're in, find somebody that's not in that area and put their phone number there. It's a, that is wonderful advice. Um, and we're... I mean, natural disasters, these happen all the time. And, uh, you know, you, you just don't want to you want to deal with this. Like we, we spoke a few weeks ago about Katrina and all those uh, poor pets that could not be their their owners couldn't be located. So this is very important. And I just want to reiterate again what Lindy's saying. So, you know, all pets should wear identif- identification tags at all times, proper ID tags. Um, really, with all that information she just spoke about on them, um, in in the, the case that your your animal becomes lost, so microchips provide an important extra level of protection in the event your pet becomes separated from his collar and tags. Which in a disaster that happens, I was heavily involved with the Katrina animals, and most of them did not have their collars on anymore. And remember, in in a, in a disaster type of thing, these animals lose these collars. But yeah. I mean, having that information on the collar is important. But the microchip is the sure thing that's going to get your pet back. Yeah. Were Were you involved in some of those Katrina dogs and we cats? Twenty nine of them that came from Louisiana yeah. that came to Riverside County, and yes, I was. That's it's incredible. So um, firsthand knowledge Lindy has of of the importance of microchipping, and and I hear that large proportion. I mean, not only did going back to Katrina, not only did a lot of people just abandon their their animals um, because they just, you know, didn't care or they wanted to save their own life and not their animal's life, but the ones that they did make a little point of trying to to, or an effort of trying to, to, to get to safe ground, they weren't being able to, they were not able to join, join them with their owners, which is so well, sad. There again, they'll visualize it, Lori, had things been right. Right. That's they right. Could, they could have taken buses around behind the buses that took the people, microchip, just scan the animal, give the person a receipt for their animal. Yeah. The animal could have ended up here, like we had 29 of them. Yeah. Here. Wouldn't it matter where it ended up, it would have been on the website. 
where that they could just look up the number and find out where their animal ended up. Right. So easy. And after Katrina, by the way, a few months, weeks ago, like I mentioned, there was new legislation that did pass for pets in cases of natural disaster, not only in Louisiana, too. So, um, Lindy, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Looking to obtain a dog or a cat to be part of your loving family? Remember, don't buy one from a breeder or from a pet store. Adopt one from a shelter, and most likely you'll be saving a life. Listen, there are many beautiful dogs and cats in in our local shelters that are desperate for a loving home. If you can't stand going to a shelter to see all the animals needing a home or, or that may be euthanized, then check out Desert Paws Adopt a Pet ad in the Desert Sun. Okay, this appears the last Saturday of every month, which is this next coming Saturday, okay? You'll see dogs and cats from the various shelters here in our valley that really need to find a home fast. Or simply go to Desert Paws website, which is desertpaws.org, and you can see the last few months' ads posted on the website. Um, also, I want to remind you that you can always email me questions or comments about the show anytime. My email address is Dr. Uh, Lori at AnimalsTodayRadio.com. That's D-R-L-O-R-I at AnimalsTodayRadio.com. You can email me um, even questions that we had for our guests today because I can always forward them the questions to them. If you have questions about the microchipping or the diabetes in cats, um, we can try to get those answered if, if we hadn't answered them on, on the air. Let me know how you like animals today. I try to respond to each and every email that I receive either directly um, back to you or on the air. So you just log on to the website and email me. Um, let's see now. If it, Did you hear about that man that was found dead in his own backyard here in our own Palm Springs Valley? And it was determined that he was mauled to death by his own pets. We're going to speak to our animal behavior consultant, Dr. Peter Borchel, to find out how this could possibly have happened. You're listening to Animals Today. I'm Dr. Lori Kirshner. Thanks for tuning in. Did you know there's a huge problem with pet overpopulation? There are so many unwanted dogs and cats that sadly millions of wonderful pets are euthanized every year in shelters because there's just nowhere for them to go. Consider that one female dog and her offspring can produce more than 50,000 puppies in just six years. And that a female cat and her kittens can produce more than 400,000 cats in seven years. Now everybody loves a cute puppy or a playful kitten, but there are simply not enough people to care for all the animals. We all can help reduce this problem by spaying or neutering our animals as soon as we obtain them. That's what responsible pet owners do. Ask your veterinarian about the procedure. You'll also learn that spaying and neutering can allow your pet to live a longer, healthier life by reducing the chances of certain cancers. There are other benefits too. Fixed animals are less likely to bite, fight, roam, or run away. Neutered cats are less likely to mark their territory. And because they do not go into heat cycles, they are less likely to cry continuously or attract unwanted animals. So make sure to spay or neuter your pets right away. And tell your friends and relatives about how we can all help make pet euthanasia a thing of the past. This message is presented by Desert Paws. Visit them at desertpaws.org. From the smallest critters to the biggest living creatures, you're listening to Animals Today with Dr. Lori Kirshner on the Desert's News Talk Superstation, AM 970, 1140, 1250 K News Radio. Live from Palm Springs, here's Dr. Kirshner. Hi, welcome back. You know, we just spoke about the importance of microchipping. I actually just pulled this up from uh from the news and 
This is an example of good reason to microchip your pet. Okay, here it is. This was March 6th, um, 2009. Ollie is a ferret that belonged to this couple in Fairfield, Connecticut. And they went on vacation and left Ollie, the ferret, with their friend and a pet sitter in Long Beach. And on February 23rd, the pet sitter noticed Ollie missing from his cage. So she puts up these flyers and notified animal, local animal hospitals and police, but there's no luck. So the, the next Monday, during a major snowstorm, an employee of a, the veterinary hospital who had seen the flyer called the pet sitter to say that a man had sought advice a few days earlier after finding a fair two blocks from the pet sitter's apartment. So when the pet sitter called the man, they found out that the, the police had sent an animal control worker to take the fair to the Freeport Animal Shelter. So she goes to the shelter, and they told her the ferret had already been adopted to a, a, a home who had another ferret. And the shelter says they have a policy of keeping animals for five days while waiting for their owners to appear. In fact, their state law says shelters can adopt an animal um, uh, after five days, and the prior owner loses any rights. The shelter director, after learning about what happened, contacted the new owner to persuade her to give up the ferret, but really got nowhere. So ferret feud. And it's good reason to microchip our pets. Do they microchip ferrets, Peter? I guess they should microchip ferrets. I suppose they can. Lindy microchips her birds and uh, ferrets, uh, similar little grain of sand. I think they need a better cage. (laughs) That's right. Um, so that's, uh, that's our ferret feud news story. We have with us Dr. Um, Peter Borchel, our, our regular animal uh, behavior consultant. Welcome, Peter. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Um, Peter, before I bring up this topic, um, I, let me just update um, our, our uh, listeners as to what did happen. This was right here, by the way, in our own backyard, um, a 38-year-old rancher Mirage Man excuse me, Rancho Mirage man was found dead Monday night in his backyard. It was determined that he was mauled to death by his own two dogs. Uh, Hill Williams owned two bull mastiffs, a three-year-old male weighing about 115 pounds and a two-year-old female weighing about 90 pounds. Um, Neither dog was spayed or neutered, and neighbors claim he may have been trying to breed them. Dr. Burchell, I'm, I'm glad you're, you're on to talk about this with, with us. Um, what, do you, what do you think triggered this incident? Well, from what I read on the report, the, uh, one of the uh, ACOs, animal control officers, said that the female was in heat. And, of course, neither dog was spayed or neutered. Um, we do get occasional cases where a male dog, particularly not neutered, in the presence of a female in heat, they get very aggressive and, and sort of defending the female against any intruders or even the owner getting between them. So um, animals are more aggressive when they're trying to breed or when they're focused on procreation, correct? Well, it's not so much that all of them are. Some of them just are goofuses and they won't do anything but maybe just pay attention to you rather than mating. But other dogs will, in fact, get aggressive. And, of course, if you've got a big dog, that just makes the danger a little bit higher. And is it mainly the male that's, that's more aggressive and just protecting the female? Yes, but females will sometimes protect the puppies. Oh. I've had cases of uh, really nice dogs who have really nice owners, and the owner goes in to uh, um, pick up a brand-new puppy that's been born, and the, and the mom bites them, hmm. you know, just defending the pup. So it's... It's it's an unfortunate circumstance. It's very rare that somebody's going to get killed like this. But mm-hmm. these were really big dogs, 
and apparently somebody got really aggressive, and it's just a bad accident. Um, dogs breed just a couple times a year, right? Where they go through heat a couple yeah. times. A year. Yeah. Yeah. Uh huh. And, and it, it, it's a good good reason to get your pets neutered. It's just a not that they're going to get aggressive like this, but it's just a pain in the neck. Yeah. It, okay. That's that is. Um, let's stress that because yeah. we're on a animal welfare. Animals Today program, so it's good reason to spay and neuter your pets, and and I guess another um, lesson is um, really, um, I I know some people say, well, aren't mastiffs typically gentle, and and you just can't, dogs breed is no indication of its aggressiveness during a time of of this cycle, correct? Yes, absolutely, you can't really tell, Um, and any breed is going to have some members are going to be really aggressive, and many members who are going to be really friendly. Mm-hmm. And you really can't predict too much on breed. Have you come across um, any of these fatal attacks like this in your practice? Yes. Um, it's not so much my practice where I'm going to be called in to rehabilitate an animal like that. I've never had to do that. And I can't imagine that I would ever have to do that. Uh, a lot of these are legal cases where somebody's claiming that the owner should have known that there was a problem. Um, or sometimes there are cases where nobody really knows what happens and they call in some animal behaviors to do an evaluation to try to figure out what what really occurred. Mm-hmm. So I've had a couple of those, yes. Yeah, okay. Um, I Thank you for addressing the, this local issue that, that's been on the news, um, Dr. Borchel. I, I do have an email for you also I want to run by you. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me, I have a nine-year-old gray cat. This is from Jennifer. I have a nine-year-old gray cat that's a male. He's always been very vocal. I thought that age would have calmed him down, but he still um, he still is as loud as he ever has been. It's so bad that I have to keep all the windows shut when I'm not home. Otherwise, the whole development can hear him. The cries are all different types, from short to long ones, that sounds like words. What, if anything, Dr. Burchell, can I do to contain this? Oh boy! I, she doesn't say what kind of cat it is. No, she she all she mentions it's a nine-year-old gray cat that's a male. Yeah, yeah. My my aunt when I was a kid had Siamese, and you could hear them three blocks away. So there's certain cats that are just more vocal. Yeah, Siamese in the old days um, used to be really vocal. They're okay. Not, I don't seem to be. They don't seem to be quite as vocal now. Mm-hmm. But some cats will vocalize when they're left alone. They really like to be with people. I don't know whether another cat or another pet would help here or not. It might be a disaster, but it might work well. Um, yeah, this is a tricky one. With dogs, you do, you know, like a citronella bark collar or something like that. I don't know if it'll work with cats. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, should, the real question here is why is this cat vocalizing? It's probably not for food. But yeah. It could be for comfort or some you know, somebody to be with. Okay. Well, Dr. Burchell, thank you again for joining us today. Very good, uh, very good, interesting information. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Um, listen, listen what's going on in California. Um, you know, following last year's passage of uh, Proposition 2, the state lawmakers are now pushing other bills that could have a big effect on ca- California animals, farm animals and, and otherwise. Um, for example... I want to tell you about this. One such bill would outlaw the common procedure of docking dairy cows' tails, okay, except during an individual treatment, emergency or operation, if the treatment or operation is performed by a vet, 
for veterinary purposes with proper anesthetic. So I want to talk about that. There's other uh, bills in California that they're working on. I, I, if we have time, I'll mention. If not, I'll mention next time. But um, do you know what tail docking is, Peter? Tail dock cutting. Snipping. Yeah, yeah. It's, it really is. It's, it's, it's disgusting. Tail dock. I didn't know what it was, truly. Tail docking of cows. We it, learned it, about that in Brooklyn. Did, did you? No, right. Okay. That's, that's, you know what? Okay. In, it, it happens in Brooklyn and in the dairy industry. Okay. The partial amputation of up to th- two-thirds of the tail. So um, it's, a pr- it's, it's a procedure typically performed without anesthetic. And it's, a, it's accomplished by, listen to this, applying a tight rubber ring that restricts blood flow to the distal portion of the tail, which atrophies and detaches or is removed with a sharp instrument. Okay, so imagine you put a tight rubber band around your arm, let's say at your elbow, and if you could tolerate the extreme pain long enough, the lower part of your arm, say your elbow down, will just simply atrophy because there's no blood flow to that area. And then you just cut it off with a sharp instrument. That's tail docking of cows, okay, in the dairy industry. So proponents of tail docking have suggested this mutilation offers a number of benefits, okay, including improved comfort for milking personnel, enhanced udder cleanliness. The udder is the uh, 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 mammary organ of a female cattle, okay, and improved milk quality. So let's take the cleanliness issue. It's been suggested that as cows' tails become soiled through contact with the milking gutter, urine, or feces, and debris, the cleanliness and health of the animal are diminished, and so therefore the milk quality is, it decreases. Okay, proven to be untrue. Worker comfort and health. Proponents of tail docking maintain that the mutilation may benefit workers' comfort and health by reducing their contact with the soiled tails of cows, a possible cause of disease for the worker. Uh, researchers have concluded that improving hygiene and wearing protective clothing uh, are effective in reducing the risk of disease infection from dairy cows rather than tail docking. So here you go. Research has disproved all of what the proponents of this mutilation state are beneficial. And in addition to the lack of efficacy of tail docking from an animal or human health perspective, shouldn't we take into account the pain and suffering by the animal? I mean, the act alone, restriction, restricting the blood flow to an area for a long enough time until the re- remaining portion becomes atrophic? That's so true, Lori. That, that is insult to injury. Even if you believe that docking is beneficial, why couldn't you get someone to do a, a anesthetized surgical procedure and just uh, amputate it? Well, because they're just animals, right? They, we don't care. That's right. Right. And it costs money to get. It's sickening. It is. And, and, but also, Peter, it's not just during the procedure. How about afterwards? It's been shown, I've read, that the cows get infected in inflamed areas at the site of amputation. So the stumps can be chronically painful for them. And some turning gangrenous or tetanus. Gangrenous. Gangrenous. What right. did I say? Something similar to gangrenous. Some gangs. They turn into gangs and kill the, the, okay. Um, you know, also there's, um, there's been a concern of formation of abnormal growths of nerve fibers, which they're called neuromas, after you amputate a tail that can lead to chronic pain. So, you know, 
cutting off oh oh one more thing i have to tell you cutting off most of the tail well what's the purpose of a, a tail on a cow uh don't know reduces the ability of the animal's abilities to swish away insects oh, okay. that and, makes sense. and biting flies and how uncomfortable would that be yes. right right i mean do we care about this so cumulative body of evidence and research that determined that there's no apparent animal health animal welfare or human health justifications to support tail docking and just so you know tail docking of cows in the dairy industry has been banned in several countries including the netherlands norway sweden switzerland and the united kingdom but despite criticism of the mutilation on the basis of scientific research and welfare concerns the practice is still allowed in the united states it's amazing to me there's a strong docking lobby is that what you're saying that's exactly what i am saying I have to mention some foods your dog should never swallow. I just Someone sent this to me. Someone emailed this to me. I think this is great. Um, some foods your dog should never swallow, not because they're fattening, but because they're dangerous. Grapes and raisins. Peter, can, they contain, did you know this, a toxin that can cause kidney damage. That's grapes and raisins. Um, I, I assume you have to eat enough of them, right? But just don't feed your dogs grapes and raisins. Bread dough and yeast can expand in the digestive system and cause severe damage. Chewing gum. Now, who would give their dogs chewing gum? Sugar-free gum, uh, sweetened with xylitol, can be deadly. Um, The same goes for any food containing xylitol. Uh, Macadamia nuts can upset the digestive and and nervous systems. Chocolate. We all know chocolate's lethal. And onion and onion powder. Okay? That was surprising. Yeah. Really surprising, because some of the, even baby food has has onion powder. We discovered that. We used to give our dogs baby food. Listen, I really hope you enjoyed today's show, and I appreciate you being with us here on Animals Today. I want to thank my guests, Steve Hindi, Dr. Doug Coons, and Lindy Beegee, and Dr. Peter Burchell. Again, any comments, questions, email me, animalstodayradio.com. I do try to respond to each and every email, either directly or on the air. Uh, stay tuned for the news um, next following the, followed by the Joey English show. This is Dr. Lori Kirshner encouraging you to nurture your love and compassion for the only other beings sharing our planet, the animals.